If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 1. We're going to be in John chapter 1 this afternoon. Also, put a finger in John chapter 3, verse 16. So, John chapter 1 and John 3.16. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that we can come and celebrate you. And we ask that you would speak to our hearts afresh, that you would reveal your love afresh to us, that we would know the height and the depth and the width of, of your love. We surrender ourselves afresh to you. We know that true change comes through the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you bless this time, speak to us. Father, would you be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. Think with me, what are some of the four or five greatest leaders of all time? If you were going to put together a list of four or five people, who comes to the top of your list? For me, Winston Churchill's got to be one of them. He's one of them that that I love for sure. I quickly think of Abraham Lincoln, uh, George Washington, maybe for some, Joan of Arc or Charlemagne, Alexander the Great, many great, great leaders. I think that this year in our country, we have seen as a nation people crying out for leadership. At the end of it, no matter where your political views are, is we've been longing for a leader. But I don't think it's just in our country or just in our nation, is that people long for leadership. We're created to be led. And this afternoon, we're going to look at Jesus as the king. The king has come. He is the ultimate leader. I'd like to suggest to you that the leader that you're looking for in your life is Jesus Christ. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. As we look at John chapter 1, we're going to see this large view of Christ, how, how Christ is God. Each of the Gospels will emphasize a different aspect of Christ's birth. In the other Gospels, we get more of the details of Christ's birth. But in John 1, he wants us to understand who Jesus is. Who is this baby in the manger? So we'll look at a few verses in John 1, and then we'll be looking at John 3.16. So please join me in verse 1 of, of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. In verse 14 of this same chapter, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the title, the word, is in reference to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word. We understand several things about Jesus there in verse 1. First, that in the beginning was the word. Christ is eternal. For all the kids that are with us, if I could get your attention for just a moment, this can be tough to understand, but I want you to grasp this, is Jesus didn't come into existence the moment he was born in Bethlehem. He's always been. So at creation, he was there. Prior to creation, he was there. He has no beginning point and no ending point. So John really wants us to understand who Christ is. He also tells us that the word was with God. We see this wonderful relationship between Jesus and the Father, fellowship with one another. It's emphasized throughout Scripture, their relationship with each other. And then the Word was God. Jesus is God. There's so many opinions about Christ. He's a prophet. He's a good man. He existed. But do you believe that he is God? That's what John wants us to see. That's what God wants us to understand. What separates Jesus from all else is the fact that he is God and he 
was God. And it goes on and says, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So as this large view of Christ, first, his eternal existence, his fellowship with the Father, him being God, but now the creator, all things were made through him. And nothing was made apart from him. God's creation is really mind-blowing, isn't it? Thursday night, for whatever reason, I just, I couldn't sleep. I had one of those nights. I think we all have uh, those nights. So I'm rolling in bed, tossing in bed. Finally, at 2.30, I get up. I'm like, I, I got to get up. Make a peanut butter toast sandwich with honey. Start reading the, some fans of that. Yeah. Start reading the news and checking sports. And I looked out the window and the stars are beautiful at 2.30 in the morning. And it reminded me, I'd been looking at this passage during the day on Thursday. And I was blown away once again by God's creation. The galaxies. We can't even begin to come to the end of the galaxies. We're discovering more and more of all of the galaxies that, that exist. And there's the vastness and the power of God's creation. But yet we have God's detail and the very intricate design of creation as well. Jesus is the creator. We now know of DNA, the amount of information that God places in DNA. The tremendous amount of detail that he puts in one cell. Jesus is the creator. It speaks of the glory of Christ. This baby in the manger is God. This baby in the manger is the creator. There was a famous atheist. He's now a former atheist. His name was Anthony Flew, and he's now elderly, and he changed his view based on one thing. He, he was really one who argued for evolution, but what changed his mind was what we've discovered in DNA. And he said, there's no way that evolution could be true by the design that we see in DNA. And he then began to believe in a creator. Goes on in verse four, it says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. In Jesus was life. He is life in and of himself. He, he has the substance of life. Not that he has a life, but he is life. In him was life, and his life was the light of men. Later on in this service, in just a moment, we're going to celebrate Jesus as the light of the world. And his life is our light. Amen? His life has come in and lit up our, our lives. In describing the light in verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Light always triumphs darkness. When you turn on the lights in a dark room, light then wins over darkness. In essence, you're turning off darkness when you're turning on the light. Oftentimes we say, turn on the light, but you're also turning off the darkness. Christ in his power is the light, and as he comes into our lives, he turns off the darkness. Some don't comprehend it. Here in verse 5, we say, the darkness did not comprehend it. Why did people reject Christ? Why did people continue to reject Christ? I'm sure there'll be some in this service that'll say, no, Christ isn't for me. I don't believe in Christ. I don't, I don't trust in Christ. Why is that? Later on in this same gospel, in the gospel of John, it tells us that people don't embrace the light because they love darkness. See, Jesus is a threat to our darkness. If I'm happy in my darkness, then I'm not going to embrace the light. 
For a few moments, we look at John the Baptist and how John the Baptist pointed to Jesus. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a freeing day when we come to realize we're not the light. We simply point to the light. We don't fix people's problems. We don't provide the sacrifice for sin. Jesus provided the sacrifice for sin. And John realized, he's like, I'm not the Messiah. I point people to the light. That's our job. We get to bear witness of the light. But Jesus is the light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Did you catch that? Jesus brings light to every person coming into the world. Every person has the opportunity to respond to the message and person of Jesus Christ. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. This is what blew my mind this week in studying this passage and really stood out to me is this phrase, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. He created the world, and now he steps into his creation. How big do you think Christ was when he was born? When someone has a a baby, you've always got to get all of the facts, right? How, How long was the baby? How much did the baby weigh? What's the baby's full name? And a lot of times I miss all of those facts and miss all of those those things, but it's important. And we go, yeah, the baby was 20 inches long and seven pounds, three ounces. So let's just say Jesus was a seven pounder. Here's God who spoke everything into existence. He humbles himself, takes on human flesh, and is born in Bethlehem, placed in a manger, placed in a a feeding trough. God steps into his creation. Maybe you're able to design something, create something, and then What if you were going to step into that creation? Kids, maybe you're going to get some Legos for Christmas. You build your little Lego world, and then you're able to step into your Lego world. You're like, far out. That would be cool. I would love that, right? So our minds try to comprehend this. He created the world, but now he's in the world. The creator is dependent upon his creation, Most Bible scholars believe that Mary was somewhere around 14 to 17 years old. This was the average age for girls to get married at the time. She was engaged to to be married when she became expectant with child of the Holy Spirit, the, the virgin birth. The creator put his existence into the hands of a teenager. Wow. Process that one for a while. What if Mary says, I don't want to feed... Jesus today. The creator is dependent upon his creation. He came into the world and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Christ was rejected largely. Rejected by his own family. Rejected by the nation of Israel, the scribes and the Pharisees. However, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. This is why Jesus came. This is why the Father sent his Son. So that those that would receive Christ, those that would believe in Christ, would be able to become the children of God. Where you then have legal right to say, 
I am the son of God. I am the child of God. I'm the daughter of God. He's adopted me. Let's say that you saw someone and you go, wow, they are great parents. I would love to be their child. They're wealthy. They're loving. They're caring. They're everything I long for in a parent. Can you just go claim them as a parent? Do you have the right to be able to do that and say, well, I'm your child. Well, I, I'm a Rockefeller, really. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's exactly what I am. You can't do that. But yet, through what Christ has done, it's completely legal. It's a completely right. It's completely appropriate for you to be able to accept and live in and declare that you're the son of God. You're the, you're the daughter of God. You're the child of God. That's why Christ came. In verse 13, who was born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To those that have received Christ, it's God's working in your life. Amen? It's the will of God. If you don't know Christ and you're considering trusting in Christ this afternoon, God is behind that. God is at work. God is drawing you to himself. It's not the will of men. It's the will of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So now we have this large view of Christ, this biblical view of Christ. He's God. He's the creator. He has fellowship with the Father. The word became flesh. This is referred to as the incarnation. All God and all man. God in human flesh. Why did God send his son in human flesh to dwell among us. If it's not for the coming of Jesus Christ, God in human flesh from the Old Testament, we'd have a very powerful view of God. His holiness, his majesty. But it's the incarnation, it's God in human flesh that reveals to us the love of God and how personable God is. That's why at Christ's birth it's declared Emmanuel, God with us. He, he's with us. He's dwelt among us. Do you know that Christ understands every element of our lives because he walked in humanity? Let's be honest for just a moment. There's aspects about Christmas that we love, but there's also aspects that are extremely stressful. Amen? It can be difficult on the budget, all of the expectations. Christ knew what it was to go through stressful holidays. You're like, really? He celebrated Christmas? No, obviously not. He didn't celebrate Christmas. What did he celebrate? He's Jewish. The Jewish holidays that God gave to the nation of Israel. On one holiday, he gets left in Jerusalem as a 12-year-old. His parents think that he's with other family, other friends. You've got Jesus? No, well, where's he at? They go back to Jerusalem searching for Jesus. Talk about a stressful holiday. So if you're dreading tonight and you're dreading tomorrow, Jesus understands. He knows that. But even more so, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So in his humanity, he knew what it was to be tempted with sin, but yet he never gave in to sin. So that when we go to Jesus, we have a faithful and merciful high priest. Who goes, I know what that's like to be tempted. Think if Christ never came in the flesh. We wouldn't have that merciful and faithful high priest. But the most important, the most important reason that Christ came in the flesh was to be the sacrifice for our sins. As he was hanging upon the cross, 
He knew no sin. From the manger, we have Calvary in view, where Christ died upon the cross. He took upon my sin, was punished for my sin, so that I could be forgiven. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Notice what it says. It says, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In Christ, we see the glory of God. We see the glory of the Father. Many people say, you know what? I don't have a difficult time with Jesus, but I have a difficult time with the Father. And what we find in Jesus is he perfectly represents the Father. So if you love Jesus, you're going to love the Father as well. And he comes in the fullness of grace and in truth. Fullness of grace and truth. Notice the order. What comes first? Grace. What is grace? It's receiving something that you don't deserve. Now, kids, if you're still with me, let me tell you a story from my my childhood that I hope illustrates grace eventually. I'll get there. But I remember being in the back of the station wagon. Now, some of you kids don't know what station wagons are. But station wagons were before minivans. Have your parents Google it for you. Pull it up, an image of a station wagon. And I was in the back seat. My mom got pulled over by a police officer. She probably wouldn't appreciate me sharing the story, but she got pulled over, and I'm in the back seat, pretty little, and I just start bawling. I mean, I was wailing because I thought they were going to take mom to jail. So I was like, don't take my mom, please. Don't take mom. You're going to go to jail. I was hysterical, and eventually she just got a warning, and they let her off, probably because I was crying so bad in the back seat. But kids, let's say that your parents got pulled over. You've probably seen that, or parents get pulled over by the, by the police. And let's say your mom or dad gets really angry at the police, gets out of the car and decides to go ahead and hit the police right, right in the face. All right? That would be crazy if that happened. You would probably then expect mom or dad to go to jail, wouldn't you, at that moment? This is a great Christmas story for everybody. <laughs> What, what if then, instead of taking your mom or dad to jail, the police officer got a $100 bill out and gave it to your mom or dad? See, that's grace. It's giving something that we don't deserve. All of us have sinned against God. And God, instead of giving us the judgment that we deserve, he gave us something far more than a $100 bill. He gave us his son. He comes in grace, the fullness of grace, and the fullness of truth. It's the grace of God that opens us up to the truth of God. Let's jump over to John 3 and look at John 3.16. I want us to see how does Christ reign? If Christ is the king that we're all longing for, the leadership that we all need in our lives, then what kind of king is he? For God so loved the world, he reigns in love. It's a reign of love. For God so loved the world. Is this your understanding of God? When you close your eyes and you think about God, what's your perspective of God? Do you feel like he's angry? That he's hateful? That he's untrustworthy? Or do you God is love? This is what God is claiming about himself. For God so loved the world. Now it's one thing to say God loved the world. And it's another thing to put your name in there. For God so loved insert your name. So it's a reign of love. There's not any other leader, there's not any other king 
that reigns with the kind of love that Christ reigns with. The love of God is displayed in a gift. It's proven in a gift. It's one thing to say, I love you. It's another thing to prove that. And here, God claims to love us, but he proves it. He says that he gave his only begotten son. So it's a reign of sacrifice. How many kings do you see laying down their life for their subjects? God sent his son. He gave his son to us. And it's a reign of sacrifice. I grew up in a Christian home. I heard of God giving his son throughout my life. But I've got to tell you, this afternoon, there's still so much of this that I don't understand, that I don't grasp. When I think of my own kids, to give their life for somebody else, I don't have that capacity. I wouldn't do it. But yet God in his love for us, he gave his son. And the scripture emphasizes the only begotten. What does that mean? It's not a phrase that we use anymore. It speaks of the fact that Christ is his only son and his loved son. When Jesus was baptized, the father speaks from heaven and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's saying, world, I want you to know how much I love my son. And then he gives his son to be sacrificed on the cross for our sin. So it's a reign of sacrifice. We go on that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a reign of belief that whoever believes in him. As we celebrate Christmas, we operate faith. You're like, really? Yeah. You might get a gift card. And you believe that something is on that gift card, don't you? Get an iTunes card with the code on the back. Hop onto your iTunes account. Type in the code. Starbucks, you get a gift card. You walk over and you're thinking, sweet. I don't really have the money to be going to five bucks. I mean, Starbucks, but I, I got this gift card. Did you guys catch that? Every time you go to Starbucks, it's five bucks, so... Some of you are looking at me like, but you got your gift card and you believe it. So you use it. Kids, when you look at those gifts under the tree, do you believe that there's something inside of them? That's why you shake them because you believe that there's something inside of them, right? It takes faith to receive a gift. It takes faith to believe a gift. And here God is saying, I've given the gift of my son to die upon the cross for, for your sin. And the way that you receive that is by believing it. In just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that right here in this service to put your faith in Christ and receive that free gift of salvation. The promise that then comes, it says, will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a reign of permanence. So, Christ's reign is permanent in our lives. He says, you have everlasting life. When you have something, you possess it. I have my wallet. I, I have my phone. I have a, a car. And God's saying, you can know that you have everlasting life. It's permanent. Christ is the king who always remains in our lives for now and all of eternity. Let's ponder and think about everlasting life for just a moment. What is it going to be like? What's heaven going to be like? 
We know that it's described as the marriage feast of the Lamb. Christ is preparing a tremendous meal for all of us as believers. I'm looking forward to that just in and of itself. Glorified bodies that have never sinned, that will never wear out, that will never experience death, pain, sorrow, sickness. All your tears will be wiped away. Streets that are paved with gold. The thing that has the least value here on earth, or the most value here on earth, which is gold, is the least valuable in heaven. It's just pavement. It's just asphalt. We're allowed to rule and reign with Christ. It's not that you're just going to be sitting up in heaven with chubby angels playing harps forever. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. I want to go to heaven, right? You get to rule and reign with Christ. It's everything good in this life plus much, much more. Multiplied, expanded. But the greatest of all is the fellowship with God. To see God, to behold God, to behold the lamb that was slain for us, to have everlasting life. The last thing about Christ's reign is it's a reign of authority. Verses 17 going into verse 18, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to, to, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus didn't come to condemn people. He came to bring salvation. He was sent to bring salvation. He who believes in him is not condemned. So if you choose to receive this gift of Christ and believe what he's done for your sins, you're not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, a reign of authority. Only God can say this as the ultimate authority. He's saying, based on what you do with me, it determines whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. I've got to tell you, I've got to be honest with you from the scriptures, from God's word. Heaven is very real. Hell is very real. And what determines whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell from what we just read is whether you believe in Christ, whether you receive this free gift of salvation. It's the most important decision that you'll make. This baby that was born in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ, the creator, God, in human flesh, died for your sins and rose again. And what will you do with that? Will you choose to trust in Christ and believe turning from your sin and to receive that grace and to receive that forgiveness. So as we close, for those that know the Lord, how do we apply what we've read in the word today? The king has come and he wants to reign in our lives. He wants to reign in our lives. His reign is wonderful. It's personal. It's powerful. As you celebrate Christ tonight and tomorrow morning and we go into the new year, it's not just to be a, a holiday, but the reality of Christ of every day of me saying, Jesus, I want you to reign in my life. I believe that this is God's heart for us as a church, is that we desire leadership. We were created to follow something or someone. We're going to follow ourselves. We're going to follow something else. But Jesus came, died, and rose again so that we would follow him. Amen? So today and every day, we can acknowledge, Jesus, you're my king, and I'm following you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, we're going to pray in just a moment, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand. And I want to be clear. And if you know Christ, if you'd be praying with me, we've talked of sin. And, and what does sin mean? And how do we know that we're sinners? To sin is to miss the mark. If I was aiming at a target and I missed by just a little bit, that is a 
describes sin in the Bible. So you could be intending to do good, but just get off by just a little bit. But I think if we're honest, we've, we've rebelled against God. I know that I have. And the scripture tells us that we're all sinners. And so then in seeing our sin and realizing our sin, it causes us to see the value of our Savior. Jesus, you died for me. You rose again. And we turn from our sin. The Bible calls it repentance. We turn from our sin. We embrace Christ and believe in him. I believe you're God, that you died for me. You rose again. Be the Lord of my life. Be my king. I'm going to follow you. And God's promise then is that he saves us. It's not going to church that saves you. It's not giving money that saves you. It's not attempting to be a good person that that saves you. If you took three swimmers that had different levels and put them at Huntington Beach in Southern California, said, all right, guys, I want you to swim to Hawaii. One was an Olympic swimmer that trains here in Colorado Springs. The other was a college swimmer. And the other had never learned to swim. Here goes the Olympic swimmer. Obviously, he makes it the farthest, but ultimately can't make it. College swimmer doesn't do quite as well. The poor guy that has never learned to swim, he doesn't even make it past the breakers. Okay? And see, you might go, oh, I'm better than my neighbor. I'm better than my parent. I'm, I'm better than my brother, my sister. But that's not the point. We've all fallen short. So as we pray, I want to give you an opportunity to, to make that decision and receive Christ as your Savior. Kids, if this makes sense to you and you go, yeah, I realize that I've sinned. I know that I've sinned against God. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. And it makes sense to you. Feel free to raise your hand as well. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. He said, if we don't have faith like a a child, we won't enter into the kingdom of God. So let's pray. And if you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, please raise your hand to him. You're not raising it to anyone else. And say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you're here with us right now, that you are Emmanuel, God in human flesh. We know that salvation is your work. It's by your will. So would you reveal your love? Would you touch the hearts of those that have never entered into a relationship with you? And may they say yes to you. If you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior right now, would you just raise your hand and leave it up and I'm going to say a prayer with you. Praise the Lord. That's you, and you're responding what Christ is doing. Just raise your hand and love to pray with you. Praise God, I see your hand over here. Anybody else in this moment that says, yeah, I want to receive Christ. Praise the Lord, I see hands here. God's good. Praise, praise God, see your hand as well. Little man, I see your, see your hand. Praise the Lord. Hands over here. If your hand's raised, pray this with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God that you died for my sin and rose again. I turn from my sin, receive your grace and forgiveness. Be the Lord of my life. You can put your hands down. Jesus, I thank you for each person that's responded. We pray that you would confirm what you've just done in their hearts and their lives. Allow them to know that their sins are forgiven. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Give them a love for your word. Pray you'd bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good.